Welcome to Try, Try Again with Catherine Mellis, a podcast dedicated to relationships, the one with yourself and others. When you ask someone why they use, you get a variety of answers. In fact, I would say no two people answer that question exactly the same way, or if they are even aware of the answer. For many, there is no clear-cut reason. The addiction drives us like a moth to the flame. We know it is not good for us in some ways, but we also know it feels good for a bit, and we rationalize or minimize the damage it causes. In the years I've been doing this work, I've seen people sacrifice their lives and their relationships to their addictions. Having worked with addicts, I can tell you the same conversation occurs in my office on a weekly basis, if not more often. It generally looks like a client sitting across from me, hanging their head, not making eye contact, almost whispering about their addiction. The shame is palpable in the room. And when I tell that person that, in my opinion, their addiction is not a result of weakness on their part, or moral failing, their head will shift slightly upward and their eyes will meet mine for a moment or two. And when I further tell them that I believe their addiction is associated with biology, learned maladaptive coping skills, possible trauma, possible underlying and undiagnosed depression and anxiety, I have had clients who will draw in a breath and release it. They will sometimes even look at me with tears in their eyes because it is the very first time that they've been told that their addiction is not a character weakness. That in fact, my belief is that some of the strongest and most sensitive people resort to using as a way of managing their sensitivity and their pain. In defining addiction or dependency, I used the definition of one of my teachers, John Daly, who had devoted his working life to acting as a kind of spiritual flashlight, helping to guide people from the darkness of addiction. He died several years ago, sadly, but in life was a passionate advocate for sobriety, and he was the founder of Recovery Happens Counseling Services. He defined addiction as a pathological relationship with intoxication. A simple definition that encompasses so much. If you depend on drugs and alcohol, that's an easy one. Most of us would agree the chronic abuse of those substances could fit the definition of addiction. A pathological relationship with intoxication. But of course, there are so many more substances. Alcohol, food, pills, pot, cigarettes and behaviors, sex, video games, bulimia, shopping, gambling, things that fit that definition. Many of these things, including alcohol and porn, have ruined millions of lives. And still, we treat them socially and culturally as if they're no big deal. We normalize them, and we normalize their use. We know we're dependent when that thing whatever it is, is more important to us than our relationships, even with our children or spouse or parent, or with ourselves. The person using will usually deny this truth. Well, that's a lie. My children are more important to me than anything in the world. 
Yet that same person continues to self-medicate and minimize behaviors. Yeah, I know my young son saw me smoking pot, but it was just that one time. I know my daughter saw me falling down drunk, but she wasn't traumatized by it. I know I'm spending time away from my family to get high, but everybody needs alone time. These are all justifications and rationalizations for use. In the United States, we are seeing record levels of alcohol and prescription pill use, particularly since COVID. And it serves to amplify what Gabor Mate and so many others have preached for years, that addiction comes from pain, trauma, isolation. We could spend the next year talking about how addiction affects the brain and what we think may be the root causes. There's often a genetic component. There's almost always some form of trauma either before the use began or during use. There is the disease model of addiction and the brain disorder or brain chemistry theory. There is the trauma theory. People disagree on whether this is a disease, genetic or otherwise, and whether it's a choice, disease-based or habit-based. Some people believe it's a matter of willpower. Should someone struggling with dependence abstain completely and never use again, or should they titrate down to an acceptable level and control the addiction? Can it be controlled? And if they should abstain, how does that model work for things like food and sex? In my experience, addiction is a means of avoidance, of escape, of numbing feelings of pain and emptiness, of feeling better about self, funnier, more outgoing, more relaxed. It is habit. It is best friend. I always say that I find most, if not every single one of the addicts I have ever worked with began using to numb the pain, experience life differently, or at the very least, to change the way they felt. I've known people professionally and personally who have lost their lives to addiction. The youngest was 17 and the oldest was 70. They continued to use despite all of the negative consequences, despite the fact that they lost relationships, despite the fact that their health suffered and they were killing themselves. I am not an expert on your addiction. I am an expert on my own past addictions. You are the expert on yours. I do not have the answers for you. I can tell you the answers are within you and only you can do the work to uncover them. Like an archeological dig where the sands of time and trauma and rationalization and minimization and use have covered the reasons you first started something. You'll need to dig deep in this work. In fact, I'm not here to even tell you you need to quit what you're doing. If it worked to have someone tell you to quit doing what you're doing, you would have quit a long time ago, right? I would like to have you process and think about these two thoughts and bring it into our time together if you would like. One is a statement credited to Sidney Banks, who said this about addiction. It's in the form, and the answer is in the formless. He connects the symptomology of addiction to the treatment, not of the addiction, but of nurturing the spirit within. When we are aware and enlightened and curious and seeking, or practicing Kazan, that Japanese theory of continuous improvement, to be just a little bit better today. When that is happening for us on a daily basis, 
When we make caring for ourselves and others our routine and we seek answers to the spiritual, we often find the addiction takes care of itself. The internal needs healing. Maybe addiction is like a fever in the body. When we have an infection lingering inside our bodies, a fever can be a sign of that infection. What if we looked at addiction in the same way? If we treat the underlying infection, the fever disappears. If we treat the underlying sadness and shame and lack of connection and environmental learning that took place as a child and all of these other struggles, addiction, at least for some, might simply fade like a rash or a fever. Could we view addiction as a combination of social, environmental, genetic factors with an understanding that addiction does not occur because of a lack of willpower or an unwillingness to stop? It's not a symptom of moral weakness. What if we could remove the shame of addiction, not judging and not shaming people about addiction? And when we stop that, that doesn't mean we are encouraging it or we agree with it. We can validate and empathize without agreeing with what someone is choosing to do. And secondly, obviously, I don't know everything you listening to this podcast might need. If you're addicted and struggling in relationships or with your health, I can guarantee you, you need some connection and nurture. You need healthier coping skills and a healthier way to live. You might need to examine and shift your belief system. But beyond that, I'm not sure what you need. You might need an inpatient rehabilitation program. You might need an outpatient program. You might need a therapist. And you might not need any of that. But most certainly you need support, connection, and awareness around your use. Reach out to a therapist to speak not just of your addiction, but what is driving it. Reach out to your doctor. I don't always encourage reaching out to friends because often those friends are feeding the addiction. But if you have a friend who is sober and would support you in your sobriety and your journey, reach out to them. Reach out to a priest or pastor or chaplain. As far as resources go, there are so many. You can attend an AA meeting or NA meeting, Al-Anon. You can read Lost Connections by Johan Hari. Also, Gabor Mate, uh, When the Body Says No, and his newest book um, is called In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts. Hari did a TED Talk called Everything You Think You Know About Addiction is Wrong. And while I found myself not agreeing with a few things, I think it's a powerful talk and worth your time listening to. Gabar Mate has some as well. There are lots of podcasts on addiction. You can also call the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, also known as the National Helpline for Treatment Referral Routing Services. And they are at 1-800-662-4357. one 800 662 They're open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they um, provide information in English and Spanish. Interestingly, they also reported a 27% increase in phone calls in 2020 from 2019. Addiction is an epidemic in this country, and you are not alone in struggling with addiction or loving someone who is. If I am seeing you, please process what you heard today and let's talk. And have a week filled with meaning and love.